Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we're discussing Season 8, Episode 20, which is titled The Letter. The episode aired on May 2nd, 2002. Lauren, what was going on that week 21 years ago? I almost read our uh, episode blurb instead of the headlines. The Pioneer <laughs> 10 Deep Space Probe, first launched in 1972, transmits its last usable set of data. The research probe was the first, the very first spacecraft to successfully traverse the asteroid belt and gave NASA its best ever look at Jupiter, as well as studying various aspects of Jupiter's atmosphere, moons, and radiation levels. The probe would... The probe continued on a trajectory out past Neptune before the official mission end in 1997, but would continue sending basic radio transmissions until 2003. In theory, this is either the second or third furthest man-made object. They obviously have no radio contact and have no way to actually know where it's located, but it was on a straight line path out of the solar system. Crazy. it is one of the only objects to theoretically leave the solar system. They, it has not been confirmed. Like the, I think the Voyager two was confirmed. Mm-hmm. Was still sending back data at that point, but yeah, yeah it's bonkers. Uh, Lizzie, this pun is awful, and I hate you. Dwayne Johnson <laughs> remains the Scorpion King of the box office for the second week. That's more painful than the episode we're about to talk up talk about. Beating out the new horror flick, Jason X, aka Jason stabs people in space. Friday the Thirteenth. Fran- Is it Friday the Thirteenth or? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With with Jason. Yeah. That that franchise is wild, y'all. It's been through. That, been through some any, wild up and wild. Up any and of those from the eighties are insane. That movie, especially Jason X, is like ridiculous. It does have. It's a terrible movie. Right, let's start there. It's a horrible movie, but it does have one of my favorite uh, kills in the entire uh, Friday the Thirteenth series, where he uh, dunks. Uh, person's head into um liquid nitrogen and then smashes their head into like a million pieces so nice yeah who needs saw when we have this this is fine we didn't have to go we didn't have to go as far as saw went we could have just left it at this comic weird shit here but anyway, Foolish by Ashanti is still your number one song. Daniel, what else was on? At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with the Cooking Class. At 8.30, a Friends rerun. At 9, Will and Grace with the episode Hocus Focus. And at 9.30, Just Shoot Me with the episode The Boys in the Band. This week's episode had 25.7 million viewers tuning in, directed by, uh, directed and written by uh, Jack mm. Orman. Uh, Jack Orman is doing his uh, first out of only three episodes as a director, uh, but he is doing his 24th out of 28 as a writer, and uh, he has been all over season eight, including A Simple Twist of Fate, Beyond Repair, Partly Cloudy Chance of Rain, The Longer You Stay, and Four Corners. Uh, and this week, as you might imagine, we have no Mark Green because he's dead, uh, and uh, no Lizzie Spoilers. Cord- no Lizzie Corday because you know C Green Mark uh, this week, and uh, no previously on either. We're just—it's amazing how how Jack Orman can do something as shitty as Four Corners and as great as this. Well, you know, I mean. I think not to like belabor the point, but like I think we talked about it at the time. It like Four Corners is was a gimmick in search of an episode. You know, like it was. Yeah. It's not so much that it's a badly written episode. It's just that they had a gimmick and they wanted to do it badly, and the episode suffered for it. It's not necessarily, I think, a 
bad episode. It's just was was that the one where we see the same events through like four different characters? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, guys, I remembered. Hey, put a put a sticker on the calendar. Uh, we that's one empty calendar. <laughs> we start right in with the episode with Susan telling Carter about what's going on with Chloe and Susie. This, this is your uh, contractually obligated hand wavy dialogue to wrap up the uh, storyline from brothers and sisters. If you did not listen to, uh, or if you did not watch the third half, uh, third watch half of the equation, uh, which judging by the viewership numbers, you didn't, uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash science podcast yeah. for all to listen to a shit, uh, shit we, on that all over the episode. We did the work for you. Pay say, us $5 and go hear it. We, we did the dirty work and went and watched that entire episode and boy, howdy would I like my 42 minutes back. Uh, but, uh, this is Susan kind of wrapping all that up for the folks who didn't bother to, uh, venture over to New York for third watch. Uh, we then hear a man screaming for his missing leg, and uh, he runs up to, uh, or ho- more more appropriately, kind of hobbles over, because he's using crutches, over to Helene Carter, and Carter tells Helene to go look for a new one for him, and this character's name is Toby. Apparently, we have seen him before, even though I don't really remember him. He was in Season 8, Episode 15, so just a handful of episodes ago, but he didn't ring a bell with me. Uh, is a legit one-legged guy uh, and appears in stuff like Bill, Endgame, and plays a pirate, a one-legged peg-leg pirate in the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. So, attaboy. Attaboy. Uh, we overhear from Frank that the uh, server is down again, and Pratt is a little anxious at this because he is looking for his match letter. All right. Uh, so, folks, this is going to be what, uh, like, an actual true listening party. We're going to listen to about a third of the episode, all total, because there's a lot of, like, stretches. Like, I, there's two four-plus-minute clips. I'm sorry. They cannot be trimmed down. Like, we too many feelings. Couldn't be. There's done. just too many feelings, too much good stuff. I don't add us. Warner Brothers. All right. Um, so let's go to the first one. Kicking the sadness right off in the beginning of the episode, uh, Carter gets uh, Carter notices that a fax has come in from Mark. Hey, when did this come in? What? It's a letter, Dr. Green. Oh, stick it in his box, I'll mail it to his house. No, it's from Dr. Green. To who? Everyone, I guess. What's it say? It says, Dear ER Gang. Ooh, we're a gang now. Oh, yeah, we got a secret handshake and everything. <laughs> While you were in Phoenix, go on, Carter. Dear ER Gang, so here I am. Out on the beach at 5.30 in the evening. Elizabeth is sitting with me drinking juice, but I'm all about the Mai Tais. What's you reading? Dr. Green sent a letter. The sun is going down. Rachel is dipping Ella's toes in the ocean as they head off on a quest for the perfect seashell. <laughs> well, I wish you were here. would have done it. Weirdly yeah, enough, it I find myself <laughs> thinking, you know what would make this moment complete? Some jogger dropping to the sand short of breath so I can swoop in with a piece of bamboo to perform a nice, clean intubation. What's this? It's Mark. Fix the guy up and send him off with a good, simple dispo. <laughs> the day I start fantasizing about critical procedures is the day I leave, too. Which I guess is my way of saying that I miss you all. And that dingy place. Look, Kovacs, you want another 5 of you? Lots Dr. of times Green. I thought I should have chosen a different career or gone into private practice. Something easier, less grinding, more lucrative. But since I've been mm-hmm. gone, <clears throat> I realize that outside of what I'm doing right now, sitting on this beach with my family, staying at county all those years, doing what we do on a daily basis, was the best choice I ever made. 
I know what you're thinking, but trust me, it's not so hard to appreciate once it's over. I think that's the Mai Tais talking. <laughs> Shut up, keep reading. As much as part of me would like to believe that the ER can't go on without me, the smarter part realizes that you're an incredible group of doctors and nurses who approach every day with such skill, compassion, and thoroughness that when it comes to patient care, I know my absence will hardly be felt. <laughs> I'm not so sure of that. As for friendship and camaraderie, well, that's another matter. In order to leave, I had to go the way I did, but I wouldn't want any of you to think that that meant I didn't value each of you in the years that we worked together, or that I didn't have things of a more personal nature to say. Most of you, I think, have an idea of what those things might be without me writing them down, but still. Go on. That's just a couple dots, and then uh, Ella is laughing and waving for me. Rachel's found her shell. <laughs> Nothing else? Probably jammed. That damn machine's been on the fritz all week. Is there a transmission report? Oh, so he faxes the letter, so he doesn't have to send the macadamia. <laughs> Why? What is it? from Dr. Corday. Mark died this morning at 6.04 a.m. The sun was rising, his favorite time of day. <clears throat> I sent this on so that you might know he was thinking of you all and that it, he, appre he appreciated knowing you would remember him well. Post that on the floor, Frank. That last part. The whole thing. So a few things. One, uh, this we had a cry, we had a running cry count throughout the episode. Uh, Lauren, Lauren and I are both at one after this. Uh, two, that is, to that is top five all all series music from Martin Davich. There, mm -hmm. that's why I let it play to the end. Um, and three, goddamn Noah Wiley. Lizzie, are you crying again? I couldn't tell because your microphone was hiding your face that whole time. I was, I was choking back. I was holding back tears. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to say, A, that letter read is one of my favorite things. B, uh, Susan's reactions throughout that whole thing mm -hmm. when she goes, wait, wait, what is it? Yeah. Something's clearly wrong here. That that's the part that gets me is it's like everybody's like okay ha, ha great he's on vacation 
And then when her heart breaks, when she realizes there's more, mm-hmm. that's where it, that's where it got me. Yeah. I think uh, based on some of the stuff I read in the listener responses, I think um, I think maybe I've given a, a false impression or a, an unfair impression over the course of our time with this show that uh, I don't like this moment, which is couldn't be further from the truth. Um, as always, my issue is with the fandom, not the uh, not the <laughs> moment itself, uh, I, because like I think it's a great moment uh, in and of itself, and I I I just don't happen to think it's the only great moment in the show, mm-hmm. and so like I do find it a little bit tiresome when this moment gets trotted out as like wasn't it sad when Carter read that letter? Yes, yes, it was sad when Carter read the letter. Can, can we talk about stuff that happened in the other 330 episodes? You know, like there's just. Or even in the other 40 minutes of this episode. Exactly. Yeah. There are so many things in this episode that are going to absolutely break my heart. Right. Guys, shocker, I did cry at least once and I had feelings this whole episode. Yeah, I, I really. Y'all. I forgot how quickly. Like, they don't really give you any time this episode to settle in mm-hmm. before they hit you with the big bad news, which, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 could... I think everyone knew this was where everything was heading even at the time. Like, I just don't know that they were expecting it to hit quite this hard, quite so soon. It's always one thing to know something's coming and then another thing to have it happen. Right. Yep. I knew that my grandma has been on or dying or not on her way out for the last two years. Right. But when I got the phone call that it happened, it still broke me. Right. Yeah, so, you know, there's um, there's nothing wrong with the moment itself. The moment itself is great, and it's, you know, a f- fantastic job by everybody involved. Like, once again, Martin knocks it out of the park and knows just, like, they knew just when to sprinkle it in. Like, they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't do it throughout, because that is a long sh- clip. Like, that is a long, yeah. you know, four and a half minutes. Like, if you were just doing four and a half minutes of, like, twinkle toes piano like just like oh isn't this a bummer like that would have been a little bit much and so like they they let carter read the happy part of the letter with no backing at all and then just when the you know mood starts to shift that's when we start to bring in the heavy you know musical accompaniment and it's uh it's very effective you know it's a, a hell of a moment yeah and on a bright side we got to see lydia this episode Hey, correcting the mistake from last week. Yeah, or two weeks ago. Sorry, I keep I keep trying to pretend that the third watch crossover never happened. (laughs) (laughs) What should have been last week, right? Yeah. Uh, (sighs) But yeah, and so I and again, not having the benefit of uh, being there twenty years ago and like paying attention, like I don't know if they had made clear at this point like that they were still going to show you everything that happened in Hawaii or if they are just like saying nah man this is it and you know next week is kind of something of a surprise maybe but like it's um again like I I go back to what I said at the end of of Orion in the Sky like if this were it and we were never gonna see Mark or never gonna talk about Mark ever again you know like would this be a satisfying conclusion to that storyline and you know i feel it less than i did uh orion in the sky i feel less satisfied with this than i did with orion in the sky but i still think it ultimately like you could have if you wanted to or if you had to yeah this is an absolutely beautiful way to reveal that someone has died yep yeah ah man 
Yeah, there's a whole other like 40 some odd minutes that we have to cover too. <laughs> so. so let's get going. Uh, we are then in with Twinkles. This is a very appropriate Twinkle usage. And Lizzie and I did note that as of right now, Anthony Edwards is still in the credits. That makes sense given on the beach next week. I don't know if he's in the last episode, but we'll I see as far so. as credits go. We'll check in we'll two keep weeks. An eye out. We'll, yeah. Uh, but then uh, Al is back. And so Carter is checking on his vitals, and Pratt is immediately pushing into what they should do. Like, oh, he's diabetic. We need to do this. Oh, we need to do this test. Oh, we need to do this test. And Carter's just kind of like, can you fucking chill a little bit, my dude? Like, he's this guy's a frequent flyer. Let's see what he actually needs. Let's give him a little bit of love here. Um, Al is asking for Mark, and as this is going on, Carter sees Carrie reading the letter on the wall, which I love how they do this throughout the episode characters notice noticing other people getting that news Mm -hmm. it's such a good through line um so carrie is the first one that we see this happen to and pratt while carter is having this emotional moment watching carrie pratt tries to make a bet on the over under for al's blood sugar for 20 bucks like my dude you heard the news that everybody just got right you saw how everyone reacted have a modicum of chill my friend. Like, I know this is just another Tuesday at work for you, but everybody else here is dealing with some shit. Mm-hmm. If this was a different job, everyone else would have been given the day off. Yep. That's that's the kind of thing you're dealing with here. Uh, but Abby checks on Carrie as she's reading the letter. And again, Lauren is wonderful actress, wonderful person. Just excellent all around this mm-hmm. episode. And she's horrified that she's that that the, that this is just posted on the bulletin board, mm-hmm. and she's very clearly rattled. Um, yeah. But she ultimately is like, "No, leave it up." Yeah, because that's probably the best. That's like you want to you want to hear the news in to get some context. It's better to have it here. I get it's better to have it here posted than yeah. Where I mean, where else would here you put secondhand? It? Yeah, like in the lounge, maybe. Maybe, but. But, but there's not really a bulletin board in there. so Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's no good way to give news like that. Uh, but we don't get any time to absorb any of that because the uh, neither does she really because the next or first real trauma of the episode comes in a young girl named Melissa who has uh, been in a MBA auto versus cement truck. She's 10 years old. She was an unrestrained backseat passenger and hit the deployed airbag in the front. Ugh. And she's also being brought in with her father, Dan, uh, who is the 36-year-old restrained driver. And he had uh, he got hit in the throat by the steering wheel and the knee to the dashboard. So doubly not good. Uh, they are thinking Melissa didn't hurt her neck. And Susan's running her trauma. And as they are clearing her neck, she sees through the open door her dad in the next trauma room over and starts screaming for him. So... And then uh, go over to Dan's truck. We go over to Dan's trauma. Uh, Carter can't intubate him because there's too much swelling. And Lauren, uh, whose films are those? Gotta have it feels it. dirty Gotta to do it. it on this episode, guys. Gotta have it though. Feels dirty. So uh, they need. To, they feel like they need to crike him, but then oh shit, a large hematoma is forming in front of the vocal cords, and they can't get past it because Carter's like, no, I can, if we cut into that, there's no way I'll be able to see what the hell I'm doing. So. Who better than Romano to show up and <laughs> just do Romano things? I mm. uh, just jumps in to do a crike and instead of like doing it like the proper way, like making careful cuts and like actually like oh pushing back, pushing like some of the stuff, vocal cords out of the way or something or whatever, just takes, he just 
clips off like the edge of like a jo- of like a large plastic syringe and just jams that in there. Everyone's like, "What the fuck?" Okay, this is my fault because we just got this the other day, but it's like uh, slamming a st- uh, straw into a boba into a bubble tea. Yes, yes, we've already just done that. Those giant fat straws just. And he's like, "Oh, it's a field airway." Just mm. fucking get it done, kids. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but then we go over. Lydia tells Susan that Chloe is on the phone while she's in this trauma. And we learn that, oh, uh, Chloe's apparently in a day program. And while Susan's on the phone, she gets an, ex- an x-ray of Melissa that she's not happy about. So- this can only be great news in an already bad news episode. Somebody uh, in the listener responses very astutely. I don't know if this, there's any truth to this, but uh, they very astutely pointed out that uh, this is kind of a little bit of a mirror of a scene from the pilot of um, Susan being on the phone with her boyfriend at the, you know, at the time. And then she gets a a call while she's looking at an x-ray and it's a similar thing of like, Mm. like she's like, ah, shit. Like, you know, finds yeah. gets bad news on an X-ray while she's on the phone with somebody. Not sure if it's intentional or not, but if they're, they're doing a lot of like closing of the loop, wink and a nod stuff, you know, back to the pilot. So it wouldn't surprise me. Yep. Uh, and then Gallant brings in a foley cath for Melissa. Susan says to ignore it and go get Peds Oncology instead because Melissa apparently has lung cancer. Fuck. Uh, then we see Carrie doing stitches on a man who she's apparently treated before, and she just kind of gets tunnel vision as she sees Romano reading the letter. And as this is happening, the guy like fusses with his stitches a little bit, says they're too too long and there's something wrong with them. And she just freaks out, like clearly the emotions of the day just hit her out of nowhere and she just yells at this kid i don't care if you're sorry i don't care if you're stupid like if you if you don't take care of it you won't heal blah 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 she just breaks down and goes into one of the treatment rooms nearby and just cries Mm. yeah george the patient here who i believe is an adult uh but just uh with down syndrome um Sorry, I said kid on accident oh, at one point, he, but yes, he is a grown man. Yeah, he is played by actor Chris Burke, who uh, has uh, a bit of an ER connection of his own. He appeared in stuff mm. like Mona Lisa Smile, Touched by an Angel, and was the co-star, uh, having not watched the show, I'm going to assume brother, of uh, one Kelly Martin on the uh, yeah. TV show Life Goes On, which that was nice. that was kind of the big thing that show was known for was... Um, kind of big representation for the down syndrome community having a main character uh with down syndrome yep um but yeah i I thought maybe down syndrome too but i wasn't gonna put it in if i wasn't sure so hold on my eyes all right and then we go to susan and abby having their therapy session in the drug lockup uh susan is regretting her earring choices because apparently a little kid had been like pulling on them so she's icing her ear in there while they while they talk, um, Abby asks Susan if she thought that Mark was going to pass so soon. Like, again, that suddenness of just, you can know something's coming and then be floored when it happens. Mm. Uh, they mention here he was only 38. He was only yeah. 38 years old when this he took seems him. seems so much goddamn older yeah. all the time, like at least in his 40s. That's the, that's the bald... Uh coming for you i mean it it, it both yeah. giveth and taketh because you look at somebody like patrick stewart and you know who's like in his 80s and you go like oh that guy's not like a day over 65 
Well, I I think also with Mark, part of it is, for me at least, it's um, watching the show from how young I was. Mm-hmm. Like, he's always just seemed like an older adult. Right, yeah. And it's like, as, as I get older, I feel like, you know, they're always going to be older than me. Right. So, of course, since I'm 31 now, I'm like, no, he had to be, like, 43. Exactly. He's, no, he was 38. He's the, he was the, the childhood definition of an old, you know. Yeah. He's just old. And then you don't realize that, you don't realize that old isn't as old as you think it is when you're a kid. Right. Four years older than me. Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah. But then Susan invites Abby out to get plastered at the Lava Lounge on Damon. And uh, Carrie says she needs to leave, just clearly flustered from the day. And Susan's like, no, come with us. Come hang out. I did not Google if this had been a real bar at the time. But I'm sure it was. Um, And then Halle says Romano is putting a chest tube into Melissa, calls uh, Susan over. And oncology has the CT, so of course Romano doesn't have a scan right there. And she's wide awake while he's doing this, like just he's got to get it in he's like no we gotta we gotta take care of this kid right now like he's this is how he's processing his grief for mark is through the aggressive treatment of this little girl um susan has to do the second doctor authorization signature since dad is uh in the sicu and mom isn't there so you know when they have to do an additional consent form if a parent isn't around she signs Mm -hmm. off on it and Melissa is wheeled up to surgery with Romano, saying that, you know, he's going to take care of her. Take care of her. He shall. Uh, let's go to our next yeah. audio clip here. Uh, Carrie and Sandy are talking about that plans of notes. The season eight green screen. <laughs> Even I noticed it this episode. It's bad. Like, holy shit. Like, you got the either if if that wasn't actually a CTA car in the and in the, in the second half of this clip. If they are, if one that they go into, if this isn't actually a CTA oh. car, it's it's a dead yeah, ringer. Yeah, oh no, it, it's yeah. definitely not. It is a that's a set. Like that's a that's a hundred percent a set because you can still see the CGI background going by in the mm. in the windows behind okay. them. That's a hundred percent a set. So I mean, shout out and credit to the set designers for being able to so yeah. the car is they right. nail the look yeah. of a CTA car. Like that's a damn right. brown line car. So let's listen. We'll blow it off and go some other night. No, you changed your shift. Carrie, the guy died. You should be with your staff tonight. They were being polite. They're your friends. They're people I work with. One of our guys goes down, the company gets together, and you get drunk. It's more for the unit than the guy's gone. I'm not a firefighter. It's basically the same job, isn't it? You put out fires. I always butted heads. I was always trying to maneuver him. Became some kind of edge, like it had to be a competition. He just wanted to do his job well and go home. I've known this was coming for a while, and I never imagined that I would feel like this. You've lost a friend. Obviously, Carter reading the letter is the thing that gets all the flowers from this episode, but goddamn if Laura Innes ain't, like, the one of the main, like, emotional undercurrents that is, like, carrying the episode along for me. Like, I feel like she is doing some of the strongest 
consistent work throughout the episode. Like, you know, she doesn't have the big dramatic moments this episode that some other people get. Like, you know, I'm thinking of Carter and Romano. Like, but she just is this steadying presence that is just giving you this, like, constant emotional undercurrent to carry the majority of the load throughout the rest of the episode. Mm. Velvet scene is like, no, you're basically a firefighter. Like, same job. It's not that different. <sighs> but uh, we go from there to Pratt talking to Carter about Al. Uh, his blood sugar was indeed over 400. Uh, he's also suffering from some other issues, including sepsis. Uh, Frank gives Pratt his uh, match letter. And uh, Gallant asks Carter if he's going to be joining them at the Lava Lounge and lists Abby and the people going, which gets Carter's attention. Uh, we find out Pratt got matched at County, his last choice. And Carter uh, kind of snidely replies, good for us. And then he, uh, in the <laughs> background, Carter sees uh, Chen reading the letter. So, again, like you said, Lauren, a really excellent way to, like, kind of communicate communicate the news like getting to see how each character is handling it all right so we got three audio clips in here in a row again apologies listening party it's too good uh but susan and abby are grabbing their drinks from the bar uh they have note uh Hale, susan abby gallant and luca are present at the bar well that was fast what she haven't even had a drink yet and you already got somebody's number oh my god what is that two sacrificial virgins how much alcohol is in there? Enough to make you forget you're being thrown into a volcano. Oh, I get it. I think. Do you need some help? Yeah. Can I start a tab? Sure. Susan. Oh, my God. Those are our drinks? Too tacky? No, not for this place. Just bummed I forgot my grass skirt. Yeah, I was going to wear my coconut bra, but it's so itchy. How did you even know about this place? Mark had a birthday here once. It seemed appropriate. Thanks. Hello? Martini. Coke? Yeah, but they find all this stuff. That's kind of creepy. I keep expecting Vincent Price to show up. So, should we uh, toast or something? Good idea. Me? You knew him the longest. I'm not very good under pressure. Someone else go first. What the hell? I'll drink to that. <laughs> it looks like we're going public. Hey, Carrie. Hey. Oh, hello. Of note, uh, that's, I believe that's like the first time, like, I know they all know that Sandy and Carrie had a thing. But, like, this is the first time they've seen them, like, together in a normal setting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I would love I, I would love to know uh, what Luca says there in Croatian. I tried to search high and low to try to find a translation for it, but realizing that I didn't even know how to spell what he was saying, uh, <laughs> and the uh, <laughs> subtitles basically just said, speaks Croatian. <laughs> like, yeah. it uh, didn't really, I didn't get very far with that. So if there's anybody out there that knows uh, Croatian and can translate that for us, uh, be uh, I'd be much obliged. Yeah, everyone could use a big giant ass tiki drink that is the size of their head when after a day like Absolutely. today. Always. All right. Uh, next up, shifting gears entirely. Uh, For let's me. Go, yeah. <laughs> let's go uh, back to the county general, uh, up to the surgical floor where Amano is doing 
surgery on Melissa with Shirley. Well encapsulated, discrete mass, no extension to the visceral pleura, pickups. Did you talk to Dr. Corday? Yes, yeah, Shirley, I'm at the top of her list right after the funeral home. Ah! What? Penetrated the rib cage. We are going to be here all night. At least you caught it. Amazing how the human body can turn on itself. The very process we need to grow in the womb to regenerate ourselves, systematically eating us alive. But no one's sacred. Little girls, fathers with little girls. Cancer, brain cancer, liver cancer, breast cancer. It's the same traitor, the same merciless, unrelenting predator, like time itself. Mm. The only thing that needs is uh, Marge Simpson at the end being like, kids, can you lighten up a little bit? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when he does that yell, though, yeah. just like, just the the rage about the situation, like when even he's impacted by Mark's death, mm -hmm. it's just, mm. it is really good. Sharf's kiss. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite, like I said, I, I, I feel like it is one and one a with, um, Carter's read of the letter for me, as far as like takeaway moments from this episode of things I always remember from this episode. It is always, you know, of course, Carter reading the letter, but then also, uh, Romano, his, it's basically a monologue here. Like he's basically just, you know, and it, it definitely wasn't as like Shakespearean as I recalled it mm -hmm. from my previous viewings, but like it still was no less impactful. Like it still hit me on, yeah. on a big emotional level. Can we just get a spinoff entirely of Paul McCrane? Yes. And Carrie. The, just, just them two. Yes. That's all we need. Yes. Uh, but anyway, let's go to our third, uh, let's go to our third of this trio here. Uh, yeah. But anyway, let's go to this third audio clip of this trio here. Uh, the bartender, who is played by who, Daniel? Uh, actor Jason Padgett. Uh, this is a very light, oh, hey, it's that guy episode, by the way. So these are none of these are particularly inspiring. But uh, Jason Padgett, who appeared in stuff like uh, the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man, uh, 24, and Angel. Uh, bartender is flirting with Susan, and uh, Carter shows up, and Susan directs him to Abby. So let's listen to Carter and Abby. John Carter makes an appearance. Abigail Lockhart sits alone. <laughs> it's a nice jacket, is it new? With your ESP? No, your car's right there. I saw you circle the building twice. Thanks for yelling out directions. Well, I didn't want to encourage you. I don't think you should be hanging around in bars. You got me there. Great letter, though. I especially enjoyed the surprise ending. I didn't write it. Well, that's the last time we let you read out loud. Suddenly antisocial? Why oh, you just miss my table dance? Hula? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll have to stick around for the second show. lives do you think what how many lives do you think he saved 
It's hard to say. One a shift on average, I guess. Five shifts a week over 10 years. Two or 3,000 people. Yeah. Forget Superman. I'll take Mark Green. Well, if I knew you felt that way, I would have shaved my head a long time ago. Ditch your friends. I think that they'll get over it. Okay. You know I have a free tiki mask in there. I'll buy you another one. Where are we going? I know a place on Franklin. The city bar? No. Well, over the tattoo parlor. No. No. Where are we going? Bill's place. <laughs> no. Whoops. No, thank you. Come no, on. no, no. This meeting starts at one. Oh, well, that's great. Go on When's ahead. When's the last I'll time that you out. win? What do you think? Well, then what's it gonna hurt? Well, it'll kill my buzz. Come for on, starters. Abby, one step at a time. I was your sponsor. Remember, save the dog. And besides, you screwed it up. You're screwing it up. Yes. Would you say that I'm drunk? Yeah. Hmm. You're not supposed to go to meetings drunk. Well, I think that they'll overlook it. And it's voluntary. The well, program then get is in the voluntary. Car Come on, out of my way, don't Abby, you were going to the meeting even if I have to Carter, carry really, you. Thanks for carrying. I appreciate it, but not tonight. Yeah, tonight. No, slow down, tough guy. Get in the car. No. Get in the car. No, no. Hey. Hey, no, John! Stop. I Stop it. Help! Help! Ah! Son of a bitch! You bit me? You dropped I me. I can't believe you just bit I me. I told you to put me down. I think that might be bleeding. Good. Everything okay out here? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I just, I can't. I can't go to a meeting tonight. I won't do it. Let's go get something to eat. Come on, a cup of coffee. Thank you. I'm gonna stop at a pharmacy and get some gauze bandages out. This all seems healthy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Let's focus on the good part, though. Forget yeah. Superman. I'll take Mark Green any day. That is a great line. It is a good yeah. line. That is one of many top tier lines in this entire episode. And, but just yeah, Abby, you 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 hot mess you. <laughs> oh, I'm oh, Abby. honey. <laughs> you just like. I get where Carter's heart's at. I don't think this this is not the right way to go about it. Yeah. This is not the way. I am glad though they didn't kiss here because I was real concerned that was what was about yeah. to happen, and I was like, "Don't do yeah. it, hoes! Don't do it." <laughs> I had a very, I had a similar thought, and I was like, "Please, please don't." Let's don't and say we did. Ugh. Yeah, but this is just yeah. this. This is a prequel of season nine. Yeah, that's the part that like annoys me a little bit. Is like we're still you know we're we're on our Mark Green death tour here, and I'm like, let me just like 
let me just bask in this a little bit. Like, let me let the let the parts of the song that are gonna hurt me hurt me the most, and like let's ignore the stuff. Like, let's save that for the se- season finale when they're really gonna dig into that. Let's let, let's not go here if we don't have to. But you know, uh, just uh. also I want to note, um, is Susan and that bartender. Yes, just just yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> just just some levity here. Just yes, he's like he's like Susan. We all know her soulmate is Donald Lowe. Well, yeah, but until she finds him, she should at least get to hang out with the cute bartender. Yeah. Let Susan have a little fun. Fair. Yep. Uh, my my head canon is that she's come here before, and like, they've just got this unspoken thing going. That's the levity mm. I have to take with this episode because the rest of it's so fucking sad. I'll take it. Um, but then we go over Carter and Abby are at Doc's talking about Mark and. Uh, she she opens up to Carter that she actually started drinking on her birthday, which was, you know, when we saw her drinking with Christina Hendricks on the stairwell, mm. not when Brian attacked her. She's like, you know, if I, I wouldn't have opened the door if I hadn't been drinking. And Carter's like, that's, that's self-pity. We don't have, we don't have a place for that here. Like, don't be blaming yourself on that shit. Uh, but he insists on dropping her off at a meeting now that she's sobered up at 6 a.m., um, she needs to go home and sleep because she's working later. And Chen walks in and sees Carter. She's looking for him. And Carter is needs to be at work at 7. He's on in an hour. He has stayed up all night sobering Abby up, and he's got to be on work in an hour. He's like, yeah, I've done it before. It's, it's not, not a problem. Did, he was an intern once. It was fine. Did anybody yeah, that's uh, anybody catch the uh, little uh, callback to season one in in this First first five mm-hmm. episodes of season, like very early season one, which mm-hmm. it, they kind of get the details of a little bit wrong, but I, I actually like it from a writing standpoint because it's the kind of details that would be lost in translation when somebody's re- retelling a story that they weren't really present for. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, uh, he mentions to, he relays to, to Abby the story of uh, Green getting uh, lobster oh, and yeah. stuff delivered to him every year. And of course, uh, if you'll recall, that was from like early season one, and it was actually stakes that he was given. And he says in uh, the in this episode, I think he says it's either every Memorial Day or every Fourth of July, something like that. Like, um, yeah, but it was actually sometime in August uh, is the actual date. It was actually sometime in August and it was stakes, not lobsters. But it's the, like I said, it's the kind of detail that like would evolve and change over time with retelling of a story. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm okay with it from that standpoint. And it is a nice little, like, you know, reminder of old times. Good sure catch. Someone got fired for that plunder. I don't. Cause it's perfect. <laughs> uh, but then we go over to Al. He is not doing well. Uh, Carter doesn't quite know what to do with him since Al was Mark's kind of private patient. Like they don't really have any good paperwork on if he's a DNR or, you know, what, what they should be doing with him now that he's at this stage and he stabilizes and Carter's like, damn tough old bird. But then Al kind of pulls him down and just says, you know, no tubes, no shocks. Like he does not want preventative measures. He just wants to pass. We go uh, upstairs where Susan is sitting in surgery when Romano wheels Melissa out and he says he got all of the cancer clean margins or repeats it a couple times. Cause Susan's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. And not like in a condescending, like, yeah, no, I got it. Like, in a, mm-hmm. no, I got it. It's very it's okay. reassuring. Yeah. And he says, you should, and Romano, ever the charmer, he says, you should get some sleep. You look like crap. <laughs> yeah, a boy. Which, to be fair, she does. Yeah, yeah she looks. 
it's if you if there's ever like it's obviously not ugly but like the roughest looking suit uh, sherry stringfield you could think of that would ever be presented to you on tv this is it yep yeah this is arguably uh i think the most human in like human entire episode from romano like his humanity i think is on full display this episode and up to and including that last line there which is i think his attempt to sort of mask his own humanity like he's letting a little bit too much of the light in and so he feels the need to like course correct and just be like yeah you look like shit like just to just so that he can feel something feel a little bit more normal um but yeah we then go down to carter talking to chen about al and uh, they're discussing kind of why nothing was ever documented in the chart. And Carter says maybe that's because Dr. Green expected to be here. And they then do rock, paper, scissors to go rescue Pratt from an Italian grandmother who uh, has brought her grandson in for what is believed to be a rash, but turns out to just be strawberry jelly on his face. Uh, so, I guess, okay. yeah. Uh, Pratt's then asking Carter if he knows anyone at Northwestern so that he can hopefully get matched somewhere else, which is just... the balls on this man yeah early pratt gotta love it hey you're right up there with early archie got of biggest shitheads in the entire show (sighs) anyway uh let's go to our next audio clip here shift gears entirely again so susan is uh crying in the lounge when carter walks in (sighs) i should have sat down if i don't sit down i won't cry well, you have to sit down eventually. Yeah. Can't I just pretend he moved to the South Pacific and lived happily ever after? In a way, he did. A girl and her father are hit by a cement truck on the way to ballet class. A malignant tumor invades her chest, and we find it by happenstance. She'll walk out of here in a week with not a care in the world. Mark walked the halls of a hospital every day and didn't know about his tumor till he presented with symptoms. Well, we save who we can, right? Has to make more sense than that. Are you looking for a reason? I miss him already. Me too. I went away for five years. I. Thought of him on occasion. Talked to him sporadically. But I miss him. I thought he'd always, always be here. That's good to miss him. It's missing him that keeps him here. Yeah. Hey. Use your right for Hallmark. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no. It's okay. I have to get back to work. I have a polynodal system five waiting to be lanced. Oh, give it to Pratt. He needs the humility. That'll be cathartic. Where'd you get that? What? Combination. Oh, personnel. Pratt matched at county. Yes, I know. Keeps bitching about it. It's a locker. 
Thought I'd spare Elizabeth the chore. Heard you had some trouble with Romano yesterday. He was right. I took too long making a decision. Well, you don't have that luxury anymore. Never really thought I did. Mark's gone. That means you've been here longer than any other doctor. People will look to you to step in and fill the void. Big void. Yes, it is. I can't do this. Will you do this? Thank you. Her small little, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just that murmur. I'm just like, oh, every time. Tiny, tiny sad Carrie. Mm. She was so close to just saying you set the tone. Like, honestly, <laughs> yeah. just say it again. It's fine. Yeah. So this is this is the part of the, and I'm not, and I want to state, don't come for me in the comments because uh, I want to state this is not my opinion. I'm just regurgitating what I've read elsewhere that uh, this is the scene where uh, they you, this is the this is the like the the fork in the road in the episode. This is the episode where you either go like all in on the mythos of the show and you're like oh just inject it into my veins and like this is great or this is the scene where they lose you and they go like all right, you're getting a little heavy-handed there, Jack. Like you're getting a little bit on the nose because like there is quite a bit of the, you know, metaphorical and physical passing of the torch in this scene here and a little bit like, you know, so I, it's just it's an opinion that's out there. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that, like, it does exist. It's not like so because the part that we don't, you know, see and hear there is Carter going and clearing out his locker and, you know, Stealing his stethoscope without seeing if Elizabeth might want or, it. Or, you know, Rachel, you know, which is which is yeah, a headcanon that people have, you know, for the end of the series. Which is like, uh, fine, whatever. It's just... And there's no real indication that he actually keeps it. Like, there's no, like, you know, people people got way too into the weeds about the, the model of the stethoscope and, like, how it's not actually, you know, like, it's, it's, it was a whole thing. That's Daniel level of work. Right, which I, you know, even I have my limits. Um it's a prop people it's a prop uh it's a symbol mm-hmm. yeah uh so you know i get the impulse to do it you know and i and i but i also get the the like i get the point of the people who don't love it either like it it is a little bit like kind of okay we get it like it's, it's much. a little much but but it is also a nice moment too especially again underscored perfectly by another great Martin Davich score that like mm-hmm. yeah. as always is the the thing that that really drives the point home. Mhm. It was the mu- yeah. it was the music that really started to make me cry. Yeah, Lizzie cried twice here. Yeah, once with Susan, once with Carter cleaning out the locker. Yeah. Now oh, she's tearing up again. Uh but <laughs> yeah, the other the other thing was when Susan just that that very realistic of you know oh you know we'd talk sporadically I'm like I took him for granted mm-hmm. I kind of always thought he'd be here like that is so common for so many of us it's to just so be like common. yeah no that person that person's always gonna be there to answer my texts that person's always gonna be there for when I send shit post memes to make them laugh like we just we have all of these kind of orbiting relationships that aren't the people that like our immediate best friends. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, no, I'll I'll catch up with them, and then 
you know, like we've said before, especially in our grief lounge episode, you never know. Just just text the people. Call the people you're thinking of. Let mm. them know. It's too fucking real. This episode was too fucking real <laughs> for me. <laughs> I'm so glad it wasn't like back in January or February. Oh, for you, if, Lizzie, if, if we had done this, do if we had done this like a week or two, like after my grandma had actually actually passed at the end of January, early February. Lizzie would just be all snot I was over there. Yeah, exactly. I, at least I can, at least now I can like hold it together and like ship post audioly with y'all. y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then Carter strolls out to the ambulance bay when Abby shows up, and apparently there was somebody with a shotgun to the face, to which uh, I think it's Carter responds, oh, well, cheaper than plastic surgery. Yeah. Not fucking Ugh. cool, my dude. But he asks how her meeting went as they're waiting for the ambulance to arrive, and she's just kind of quiet, and he's like, well, did you go for you, or did you go, like, because I told you to, and she just kind of goes, I went for you. And then they're they're talking about if his face is gonna look like like chuck roast or whatever like ground chuck or whatever and it's really disgusting. This yeah. whole scene can just go. Um, but then the gentleman is brought in. He's screaming. He pulled the IV out before they could get you know morphine in. The prosthetics work here is too good. I was glad I was looking at notes and didn't have Ugh. to look at the screen for this. Holy shit! This was a disturbing scene. This is a lot. Yep, uh, Gallant is looking away, um, clearly repulsed and having trouble, like, staying on his feet to help. Like, Carter has to yell at him a couple times, like, don't move, you gotta, you you gotta be on top of this, like, hold it together, my dude. Uh, they managed to get the guy stable, and the musical theme right there, lightly playing in the background. Again, Martin is doing chef's kiss work. So good. And we should note, after they get him stable, Gallant is able to kind of, like, sit down on his haunches a minute and brace himself in the trauma room so let's uh go to our last audio clip here then gallant is out in the ambulance bay when carter joins him but that was a new one yeah yeah look i'm sorry uh just thought i was gonna be sick it's better if you keep your head down It'll be okay. It just, uh, just caught me by surprise, you know? Well, relax. Take a minute. You know, sometimes I don't think I can do this. You know, there's two kinds of doctors. There's the kind that get rid of their feelings and the kind that hold on to them. If you're gonna hold on to your feelings, you're gonna get sick every once in a while. It's part of it. You know, people come in here, they're sick, and they're bleeding, and sometimes they're dying, and they need our help. And helping them is more important than how we feel. But hell, I've been doing this eight years, I still get sick. 
Take another minute. It rhymes. <laughs> it rhymes. Hey, Carter's doing a mark thing. Some, somewhere George Lucas has an erection and he doesn't understand why. Ex- I was about to make the joke. God damn it, Daniel. <laughs> uh, here's where I am going to plant the flag of I think you can do this moment or I think you can do the moment of Carter cleaning out the locker. I don't think you can get away with doing both. And so I think for, for, for on my like schmaltzometer, like I, I okay. feel like you need to pick your battles. And I would have, for me personally, I would have preferred to keep this moment and, and let yep. Carrie be the one to clean out his locker. I don't yep. think you needed Carter to clean out Mark's locker because like we talked about at the end of um, Orion in the sky, I don't really give a shit what your mythos is about the show. There isn't that much to that relationship. There just isn't. And I feel like there was much more to talk about, especially given the the arc that Carrie goes through in this episode of coming to terms with her own feelings and her own sort of personal history with Mark as a professional colleague. Like, I feel like she gains a much greater appreciation throughout the course of this episode for what Mark meant to her as a colleague and as a friend. And I feel like her getting to clean out his locker would have been the like culmination of that arc to me. Carter doing it feels like just like one more added on thing to the pile of just like, yeah, do you see this other white guy's taking the, the charge now? Like, it's just like, bleh, you know, but this one has hair, right? So like this, this moment here, as schmaltzy as it is on surface level, fine. I get like, I'm cool with it. Like you want to do that? I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board. We all kind of have said our piece about how Gallant is being positioned as kind of like Carter 2.0. So like, I'm, I'm cool with that. Like if you wanna if you wanna recreate the the mark moment from the the pilot, I'm a hundred percent down for that. I just from from a schmaltzness schmaltziness standpoint, I feel like you you were really only allowed one, and I feel like they went to the well one too many times. And and if you had to keep one or the other, I, my vote would be to keep this one. The schmaltzometer. And whereas I'm totally fine with both. And that's fair. I don't know. Maybe it's just it's just me. That's fair. It's just me, and I'm lost in my feelings, and I'm just swimming around. And I'm just like, just boy, if that's not a lounge episode title, <laughs> just it's just me lost in my feelings. Yeah, but I love it. Yeah, personally, no. This is this is a good moment, and it's you know it it, it is sort of it's affirming for both of these characters. It's a little bit affirming for you know for Gallant kind of again taking over the the little bit of the mantle of Carter 2.0 for better or worse. How that's going to turn out, we'll see. Um, but it is also sort of affirming of that passing of the torch thing of like now Carter is in Green's shoes and and finding himself in the position to kind of give the same speech that he was given you know eight years ago. So from a it rhymes standpoint, it's it's good. Uh, but we then see Susan getting ready to leave. She pins the letter uh, on the bottoms uh, just to make it more secure. That'll come up in a little bit uh then carter goes in to check in on al lydia has been sitting with him uh they're basically at this point just keeping him comfortable keeping him in a quiet room on steady morphine uh and he's kind of altered a little bit at this point and he basically thinks that carter is mark and so yeah i'm and we should i'm tearing up even now so we should note this was the fifth time Lizzie has cried this episode fourth time Lizzie has cried this episode i only cried the first at the beginning this Uh, this was where no, no, it was, it says five because 
I counted mine in the beginning oh, of it. Okay. So yeah, it's five five tiers total, four for you, one for me. Um, but this was where Lizzie absolutely fucking lost it last night. Like we had to take a minute. Cause like, even, I had to... even two minute even two months after my grandma's passed on, this made me think of like what was her last words? Was she being okay? I'm gonna cry right now. Fuck. I haha, I can't come hug you because I'm in the other room. <laughs> Damn up. you audio quality. Uh yeah. See and I But yeah, I I ugly cried mm-hmm. and, and I felt like the monster this episode because like I was at a fat donut hole the whole, the, the whole way. Like I, I did not, I didn't never want like the letter a little bit like at the beginning, but like really that was such a, like th- there's no build to it. They, they just ripped that bandaid off immediately. Like I do feel like uh, it, it, if there had been a little bit more build to that moment, I might've gotten there, but like, it was just so like, you know, oh hey, by the way, Mark's dead. Like it was very like, whoosh, like, let's get it over with, and maybe that's better. I don't know. Like maybe maybe you do enough crying in the other two episodes that you don't need to have that happen here. So I don't know. I was surprised at how much I was able to keep it together this whole episode. Ah, <sighs> no, we, there's a little time skip. We don't know if it's it's not really speci- specified because like they're wearing coats, aren't they? Uh, like light jackets. I mean, I think they're wearing at least. I think they're wearing their lab coats, maybe. Yeah, I think it's the lab coats. Okay, maybe, but like, no, but like earlier in this episode, mm. like when they're all out at the bar, like they have coats. Oh yeah, on, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yes, jackets. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we're we're right around where we're at on the air date. Like I think we're like late April, early May time frame. So like, yeah. depending on where so you're that, at in the Midwest, that could still be very cold. Like to the, yeah, like to the, tomorrow it's going to be 84 degrees. We're going to turn the air conditioner yeah. on tomorrow. Here in Chicago, but like next week it's gonna be fifty two, like the fuck. So, Daniel's over there just like rub it in. Oh my no, it's, it's definitely gonna be like eighty degrees here tomorrow too. But who knows how long? I'm so happy Who knows for how you. long that'll last? Yeah, you'll have snow next week. Don't worry about it. Um, Don't you joke? But yeah, so a non a non determinate amount of time has passed, and Susan's checking on a man who may have burnt his eye. Uh, they have to keep the fan bl- a fan blowing right in the entryway to keep the air circulating because the a- AC is busted. So it's a very hectic day and just more of a showing like life goes on. Life in the ER goes on without Mark. Uh, it's a very hectic day with people going past the door and one of the pages blows away. Because it doesn't have the bottom thumbtack in it now. <laughs> yeah. That's why I said a non- an indiscriminate amount of time. non Nondescript, rather. But, yeah, uh, so this is, without a doubt, wouldn't change the thing 10 out of 10 for me. I know da- I know Daniel has his nitpicks with it and stuff like that, and but, like, for me, I, honest to God, would not change a single scene yeah, in, this, no. in, entire, in this entire no, thing. Yeah. It, it is still, on a relative scale, it is still, like, uh, an excellent episode. In con- you, you could make a solid argument for it being, you know, a top 10, top 5, whatever whatever metric you want to use episode in the entire series, and I, I don't think anyone would really put up that much of a fight against you. Um yeah, I, I feel much the same about it as I did on my initial watch. Like, I feel uh, like it's a great episode on its own. Uh, but when I compare it to the other two parts of the trilogy of, you know, the, the Mark Green death trilogy, um, for me, it's still a clear third place at this point. Like, it's it's a, put it up against any other, like, middle of the season filler episode from any other season, and it's a 10 out of 10. It's just when you compare it to these two other behemoth episodes that I go, 
all right, yeah, like it's it's in third place. But like that's that all that to say that like I feel like Orion to me is a ten. On the beach is like a nine, nine and a half, and this would be like an eight and a half. Like it's like right there, it's right behind it, but it's just you know like I, I still feel like uh, you could have accomplished a lot of the things that this episode accomplishes sprinkled throughout other episodes, but I'm still happy it gets its own chance to shine like it gets its own showcase because it is an important part of the story how the how his death impacts the ecosystem of that er is just as important of a part of the story as what happens to him and how he is you know we we see that we see his death through his eyes through uh you know his co-workers eyes and then through his family's eyes so like it's it's a full circle you know full spectrum uh, experience and it's an important part of that experience and it's just for me, like I said, like it's uh, on a relative scale, it's it's in third place out of the three for me. But that is by no means a knock on the episode. It is still a fantastic. Yeah. And ju- as always, da- go ahead. I was to say, I'm just consistently reminded by how much I love this this one. Because like On the Beach is my favorite episode in the entire series. So and I'm super excited to talk. I'm, no, I'm not really that excited. <laughs> but, but like I'm very interested to talk about it next week and to revisit it because it's one of those things that i don't revisit unless i absolutely it's not a fun watch but like yeah but like this one i do watch more and i'm always reminded of just how fucking good this show can be like all of the characters all the everything sorry i'll stop and let lauren talk for once uh and as always you two hashed it out better with a great thesis than i ever could uh yep great agree eight and a half (laughs) like Y'all did my homework for me. And, Excellent. And Mark Good dances job. on Lauren's grave. I mean, Mark dances. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren dances on Mark's grave. No, I had feelings this episode. Thank you very much. I wasn't shitposting my way through the whole thing. It is a beautiful episode. I love how we see, especially in this episode, the death through all the different characters in the ER. I think it's beautifully yeah. done. And Romano will always kill me the most on that one. So uh, we, we, we kid because we love Lauren. Yeah, yeah, whatever. We can get into more of the the nitty gritty on this next week with with on the beach, but like as a storytelling device, as a you know, uh, just as a creative choice, like how do we feel about the decision to have this episode come first and then follow it with on the beach versus versus? I like the it. I like it because it's it's. A I like it because on, on paper. It it is def it is definitely an odd choice, but I like it because you know, pop culture would dictate that you of course you would see the death before you see the reaction. So I love that we actually get the flip and we get the reaction first, because then it means like when we go into what's happening next week, we already know how it's gonna end. We know like there's no other way that episode can end. So that whole time during on the beach, you're like, okay, when is it gonna happen? Like how how does this wrap? I think so. It's just that emotional weight and catharsis of that. I think it's way stronger if you have on the beach second. I think the only reason that you absolutely had to order it this way is because of the of the third watch crossover, because you had to have Susan back mm. in the ER for this to happen and for her to find out right this in this letter and. If you were just going to go right from third watch to Mark dying to then this, I think that would have been a lot. I think that would have yeah. been tonal clash 101. There is also that very much yeah. so. So, I mean, if you had ordered it like 
third watch like orion in the sky I'm trying to think it orion in the sky i don't know there's a better way to do it. Yeah. Well, the, the, the best to way to the, the best way to do third. it is to not do the third watch crossover. Like, or I mean, or if you're doing it, do it before Orion in the Sky. Yeah, something like that. What the listeners have to say about it, Lauren? I don't know. Do we have any other pressing thoughts about this episode before I read listener no. responses? I love this episode, and I love y'all. Oh, thanks. I love you too. Um, listener responses. A line M says. This could have. I'm gonna keep finding weird ways to pronounce that name until someone I'm yells sure at me. Pretty sure you need to you need to go one. look in the Facebook comments because I'm fairly certain that she left you a comment at one point saying it's fine how you pronounce her name, but here's how to actually pronounce her name. But well, I will dig back through. Uh, you can also direct message me if you're this person and just fucking tell me how to say your name so I stop disrespecting you because wow. I don't mean to. <laughs> no, I'm just saying I'm an asshole and I don't know how to say it. Uh. But this could have been a great episode, but Jack Orman really didn't need to spell it out that Carter was now filling Mark's shoes. In fact, Carrie even says this out loud to Carter in the doctor's lounge in case we were really dumb and missed all the other references. And that scene with Carter clearing out Mark's locker and taking Mark's stethoscope is probably supposed to be emotional, but I thought it was wrong of Carter to take it. He should have given it to Elizabeth, and she could have given it to Rachel, Speaking of wrong, Carter trying to force Abby to go to an AA meeting she didn't want to go to by throwing her over his shoulder. Uh, for some strange reason, Abby seemed to think it was actually kind of him. I did like Carter in the scene almost at the end when Al was dying. It reminded me of Carter in the earlier seasons. And Carrie was right. I also thought it was a strange way to inform people of the death of a coworker by pinning a letter on the bulletin board. Uh, at Lydia M. Not at. Lydia M. <laughs> Lydia M. says, I usually skip this episode and on the beach when I'm rewatching. I sob hysterically from beginning to end. My dad dies 15 months before Mark, and even with all Mark's faults, he was still a better dad than my own. You never consume art like you do when you're a teenager, especially when that art is linked to trauma. Or collect fantasy father figures when your dad sucks as a kid. For me, ER and Mark will always have a place in my heart, but he is definitely still in Hawaii living his best life on every rewatch. Uh, Valerie Z says, So many very sweet moments with the nod to the first episode. Susan, being on the phone with someone while holding up the films of somebody that Lauren doesn't that Lauren doesn't has to sleuth, uh, seeing can the cancer in the lungs, and the person on the other end of the phone being confused when she said something. Carter walking out to the bay in the reflection scene to give comfort to new young doctor in using Mark's words. Uh, Mr. Irvin as a patient whom did not initially like Mark, but who eventually came to trust above all doctors. It's such a well-done episode. They didn't always get it right as far as wrapping up a character's journey on the show. I'm so happy with Mark Green that they brought it home. Uh, Heather R. says, forget Superman. I'll take Mark Green. Abby Lockhart. Sums it up nicely. On the one hand, I know the death of Dr. Green can feel like it was dragged out. At the time, it was well publicized that Anthony Edwards was leaving the show, and the cancer's return didn't leave many surprises as to how he would exit, which was fine. I'm trying to remember how this was marketed with promos when these last few episodes were aired, or these last few episodes of the season aired, because now part of me is wondering if we all thought that the letter was it and that we weren't going to see Mark again at all. I think it could have worked as the end for him, too, but I still like the creativity of how the writers put this together with a few episodes, from his last shift working to this one with the letter and on the beach. 
Here we get to see for the first time that the ER in the world without Mark and see how the characters react. To be honest, I'm not sure if the words of Mark's letter itself, it really struck me the first time I saw this episode. It was the transition to the final part written by Elizabeth that did it because I knew this letter wasn't going to have an, a happy ending, obviously. They do kind of bang us over the head with Carter, filling the void in Mark's absence. It always seemed obvious to me that he would be the new leading man, but I do love the scene with Carter talking to Gallant as a throwback to the season one with Mark talking to Carter. It was a great callback. I love when they do that kind of stuff. We already had you set the tone, Carter, and then this scene. That was enough for the message. Weaver had her moments dealing with Mark's death too, with a patient and later with Sandy. I love the, you lost a friend, and her quiet, I think I have response. Even Romano got a lovely speech. His delivery of little girls, fathers with little girls, is so well done. Seeing the tender moments from Romano are so rare that I think it's pretty easy to gush over them, really. Or maybe I'm just a sucker for a good writing, too. Shocking. Also, good for Abby for biting Carter when he picked her up, just because. Uh, Daniel, you want to tap in for these last two? Uh, Grace B says, I have been dying. I guess this counts as a pun, but I don't care to say this since Daniel first started complaining about this episode. First of all, I would like to defend myself. I'm not complaining about this episode. Just complaining <laughs> complaining about the over, over analysis and overexposure of Carter reading the letter as a quote unquote emotional moment. Yes, it's very sad when Carter read the letter, but there are 330 other episodes of this show. Now, uh... Let's see. Where did I where did I fall off? <laughs> uh, for me, it's not that the literal letter is sad. It's that it's extraordinarily well written. It would be really easy to take something like Mark's last words to the ER and make them overly schmaltzy and super out of character. But no, this sounds like actual words Mark Green would write to his friends and colleagues. And I think that's rare to find in TV and film. And I love it. I rewatch this scene all the time uh, just because I find the writing impressive and I think Noah Wiley in particular hits the delivery out of the park, as does everyone at the desk listening. Seriously, this may be one of my favorite episodes specifically for the writing and camera work. And Carter trying to get Abby off her drinking spiral. I have been Carter in situations like this and sometimes I wonder if it's harder to push when you have some idea of what's going on inside the other person. I hope I'll have more fleshed out thoughts when we come back to the topic of alcoholism in season 13, but the AA all or nothing approach really stuck out to me this time around. Around. And finally, you are all correct that it's a bit messed up that Carter takes Mark's stethoscope, and I have no defense for the fact that I love this moment. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, at the full-time dad, while I know that some critics believe Mark's death arc was too drawn out, I believe it was necessary <laughs> for a character of his gravitas to have the story of his death told from multiple points of view. Here we get how his beloved ER staff learns and reacts to his passing. I won't wax poetic about Carter's delivery, as I know many will, but the thing that stands out to me as he reads the letter is Susan's what? Visibly fighting tears, her voice audibly cracks as Carter realizes the fax has a second page. Then it's Susan's eyes as Frank goes to post the letters to the bulletin board. Bloodshot, tears filled to the brim, pain swept. It's incredible verbal and nonverbal acting by Sherry Stringfield. The next thing that stands out is Romano's 40-second cancer monologue. Spoken in monotone, there's something about his delivery that makes you feel the resignation and solemnity he feels about Mark's passing. Uh, little girls, fathers with little girls, the line gets me every single time. Laura Innes does heavy lifting in this episode, realizing just how much her foil meant to her over the years. Sometimes it takes loss to realize what you had, and it hits Carrie like a truck. 
Abby's how many lives moment with Carter and Carter's recounting of the lobster guy, though wasn't at stake, I digress, uh, are more poignant touches. And finally, the episode's penultimate and ultimate scenes, Carter dotting Mark's stethoscopes, uh, stethoscope seemingly imbued with his wisdom, figuratively and literally stepping into his mentor's shoes. I would argue that Benton is his mentor, not Green. Uh, the recast of that famous scene from episode one with Gallant poised to step into the med student void once occupied by Carter, then Lucy... Carter's scene with Mark's patient played so beautifully by the late Paul Benjamin. Then the final music cue as the warm wind blows. The letter cascades to the floor, literally turning the page to a new ER chapter. The letter is a perfect ode to Mark from the staff he called family. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank y'all very much for listening, as always. Listening to all the sadness, listening to our feelings. We love y'all. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast. For only $1 a month, you can get access to our show notes each week, but for only $5 a month... You can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two weekly access to all, any future cast and crew interviews, and over 70 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, and movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Saint and Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Uh, folks can find me staring out our back window at the neighbors yelling at each other in the alley, because that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> Okay, uh, I'm I'm doing. I, you can find me on the digital equivalent of that. I'm on Twitter. I'm at Random Gamer. <laughs> that's G A M three R. Uh, thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time for all the sadness and have a great week.